All right, here we go. Took out all those wisdom teeth. <laughs> Took decades off. Right, went back in time. Took decades off, man. <laughs> Not here, just here. <laughs> okay. Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 163, recorded at River Road Studios in Eugene, Oregon. Today's show is brought to you by Hunter Creation, graphic designers and website designers, bringing your marketing ideas to life through websites or e-commerce sites to uh, marketing materials. They can help you with just about anything. Give them a con- give a shout out to them or contact them at huntercreation.com. Sue Sierra Lupe. Sierra Lupe Herbal Consulting. I specialize in chronic conditions and I can work with your prescriber. You can contact me for either online, distance, or in town herbal consulting at Sierra Lupe Herbal Consultation at gmail.com. Hey, you got it right this time. I know. I feel really proud of myself. <laughs> Ace High Heat Graphics, custom and printed apparel. Great way to get the message out for your company or group or organization. Also also a great way to uh, fundraise. Contact them at sales at acehighheatgraphics.com. They can help you put together a quote for your group or organization or even your, your company to find out how you can advertise on a shirt. Again, sales at acehighheatgraphics.com. And get healthy now with Candice. Get healthy now with Candice is all about connecting with people with plants to transform lives. If you have been wanting to change your lifestyle and especially your diet toward a more natural way way of being and to help improve your health, contact Candice at gethealthynowwithcandice.com. And Occupy Medical. Occupy Medical is a free integrated health clinic. We are a 501c3, and we are in, at 1717 Centennial, Springfield, Oregon. You can get a hold of us at occupy-medical.org. Healthcare is a human right. All right. The Herbal Nerd Society. Hey, it's great to be an Herbal Nerd Society member because you not only get special articles that Candace and Sue write focused on an herb each month, but you also have access to all of the backlog of the Real Herbalism Radio podcast, which at this point I believe is 142 episodes, 142 plus hours of you two speaking and talking. Oh, awesome. A nightmare for some, a pleasure <laughs> for others. Insomniacs, that's where you want to go. Yep. Right. No, no, we won't put you to no, sleep. No, no, we no, might no. actually wake you up, so maybe not so much. Right. So you, not only do you get all of that great content that's catered for you, you also get the Let's Talk series. Yes, you do. Which is um, a great opportunity for members of the Herbal Nurse Society to get information from our guests that come in. And we do a 10 to 12 minute focused conversation mm-hmm. on just one item. We have people on Facebook a lot that say, oh, this article looks really great. Do I have to be a member in order to read it? Yeah, you got to be a member. You got to pay $4.99 a month to read those articles. That's less than the price of a latte. It's very, very inexpensive, and yet it helps us um, produce these podcasts and put up the website that we have and do all the work that we do in the community as well. So please keep in mind when you're looking at those articles, and they look nice and juicy and delicious – that you can take your own big healthy bite from it, but you just have to pay for the – is like three months at a time? Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah, three months a, at a yeah, time a, or a year. Right. It's $4.99 a month and it's billed um, – was it quarterly? Quarterly. Quarterly. And then um, – or once a year for $49.99 a month or 49 
49.99 for the year, and that gives you basically two free months. Yep. So, and then, and if you pay that way, that's 17 cents a day. So that's pretty rocking when you think about that. Um, so the other thing is, uh, by all means, uh, go out to, when you're on Amazon, you're filling out a new Christmas Kindle that you're going to get. Look at um, our folios that we have nine or 10 of them, plus the uh, um, pocket herbal and uh, herbalism for the zombie apocalypse that Candace has written. And if you write into her and beg for her, she will <laughs> she will write volume two, which, you know, everyone, I, I want to leave it. Basically, volume one is really good and it leaves you at a point. And she's got to complete the journey, but she hasn't completed the journey yet. That's right. <laughs> so I think if we all wrote her emails and said, complete the journey, then she might do it for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that'd be a great way to get some herbal information on your Kindle and another way to support us. So, well, we uh, actually recorded show um, last week's show 162 six months ago. Um, we held the second bottle of um, desert beer that uh, Christina had brought us um, to see how it would age. And we aged it, We aged the show 162 so you wouldn't wait six months to see how the two bottles compared. <laughs> so with that being said, tonight during – or not tonight, but during today's show, we will be um, uncapping bottle two and getting our um, tastes – critiquing it, if you will, or go tasting and see how it aged in the bottle. Because as any home brewer knows, um, bottle aging, the bottle, the beer will taste different after a month, after six months, after a year. It'll have a different flavor and maturity to it, just like any other fermented product. So um, I'm looking forward to um, tasting. Because I'll be honest, the first time that we tasted it, it was relatively a young beer, and it wasn't my favorite. It was, you know, it was very light. It was very fruity. It just wasn't. It wasn't my beer. It wasn't something that. Oh, I have to have this. Um, but I could see yeah, if I was in Joshua Tree and it was a hot desert day, I'd probably. I think I can drink a lot of that. So I think it just happens to be where you're at. So. All right. Well, with that being said, it's time for the time to start the show. So, without further ado, I hear your host, Candace Hunter. And Sue Sierra Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. I have to tell you, I'm really excited to uncap Christina's beer today, in part because I am fighting off a cold, and Yerba Santa is an excellent remedy yes. for respiratory ailments. That's right. And I'm fighting off a, a desire to drink the whole bottle. Fighting off a desire to drink that. it. So that, that would be good for me to drink it. Yep. So Are let's, we let's, open un- it? let's just let's get you, straight to you it. You hurt yourself. Look, I hurt myself. Oh my gosh, she's was, bleeding. You were, you were waving around the bottle opener, and you hurt yourself. Oh, I hit it on the on the corner here. <laughs> on the, the corner. The, the on the corner of the table. table. The, the dangerous, dangerous table. Wow. table. Jeez, I'm actually know. bleeding for y'all. I'm, I'm I'm I've made a sacrifice. First okay. blood. Here we go. So she I'm gonna open blood it. So we can and and let's get this bad boy open. Come on. Do you remember what this called? Was it was a white sage beer? Is that what they called it? White sage. What's that? Yes, she's also excited. Like open. There's the sound. This one has, if I recall correctly, very bubbly. Pinion pine, yerba santa, and white sage in it. Wow, it is really bubbly. It should be. It should be. It has carbonated. It should have carbonated. We should also tell people that both. That both Patrick and I keep um, beer bottle openers on our keychains, mm-hmm. just, in, just case, in case, just for situations Back like home, this. We call those a church key, and a it's important key. that every good petitioner, pre- 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 petitioner has a oh. church key. 
Okay. Right. All right. We used to call that being an alcoholic, but that's or, fine too. Or prepared. Or pre- prepared. So I prefer the prepared. In yeah, Minnesota, but, it's prepared. Look at, look at all that foam. I know. Look at it. Excited. So okay. before you pour it, let's 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 do it. Like, let's you know, do the pour so people can microphone. hear it. So people can hear. hear it. Okay. Oh right. All right. 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 <gasps> oh, suck it down. Suck it down. Oh goodness. So he just poured fast, which created a, a really thick foam. head. A glass ahead. Yeah. It's it's best not to pour beer fast, but this one's this one's a really it's well really bubbly. This is like champagne. Like it, exactly, that's what I was thinking. I had some at a party this weekend, and this not is just beer, but but champagne. I'm sure they didn't use a champagne yeast, but the bubbles are fine and plentiful, like a champagne. Tons mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. You know, pour me a little bit. Do you want I want a smaller. I want a smaller, smaller amount. amount. Yes. I don't want one that's mostly foam. Here we go. I'm Say yes. More? Yeah. I can't even it's see gonna be. beer there. I guess it'll just, it'll just have to be the same amount you poured. So I noticed how she poured hers, and Her she's pours, got a nice column yeah. of beer. Here's and for the rest of us, she, she went. She Here, went I'm switching foam. with you. I am. Okay. I'm going to do it. I, I switched out from the for the less foam. Oh, it smells lovely, though. Okay. Yep. The scent is reminds me of some kind of flowers from the desert, like a desert flower. Does it? Yeah. It has a, a sweet. It's very light. A very sweet. Did you already? Okay. It hits the back of your throat quick. That is pretty smooth, I think. It's, it a, it's light. It's very it's light. light. It's a light beer. It's smooth. It's blended more, much more blended this time. The mm-hmm. flavors have melded together. There is a resinous taste. I taste yeah, the resinous that's that, taste, definitely. That would be the opinion, right, that she had said? I'm betting, yeah. And there's sage that I did last time I mm. tasted quickly. I have to admit, I, I like it better this time. Possibly. Mm. That's in part because I am coming down with a cold, and this might be exactly what I need. Maybe. You need beer. Okay, we got to do a toast. Oh, we got to get some more. Oh, yeah, because you can't do a toast with, you no. know. No, you need a good glass. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, oh so Sue God. is now busy spilling all over River Road <laughs> Studios. No, no, no. It's She's fine. awesome. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's Wait, good. I have, to, I have to. Hold on. God. <laughs> so this is. Christina, um, you have done a wonderful job with this beer. It has aged beautifully. I don't know if you or your fine brewers had saved any bottles to try, but I definitely recommend you break out at least one and give it a try. Okay, I'm back. Okay, you're back. Let us toast to Christina and the Desert Brew Triumph. Yes. Woohoo! Joshua Tree nice. Brewing Company, I believe. Nastrovia. What's that mean? To your health. To your health. My grandmother always said it after she did toast. Nastrovia. It's better than it was in May or when we did the recording. Um, the flavors are more rounded. It has more um, punch to it as far as complexity. Yeah. It's not as sweety. Uh, it's not as sweet as it was. Right. I, I remember that, it being pretty sweet. Yeah, that's yeah. changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's a little bit dry, which I, I don't mind. Um, I and, like that. I um, like a little dry. Yeah, it's, it has a nice balanced bittering. I think if, if they were to sell it, this is the kind of thing they'd, they'd want to definitely condition for quite a while before they throw it in. Um, out in bottles or on tap. Mm-hmm. What's that mean, conditioning your beer? 
Well, basically, that's so what we did is we, we age held it. Age set. We, yeah, let it age, age if you will. And yeah. you age yeah. it in the bottle. You can, you or in a keg. You can also age it in the keg. You can age it in the keg before you carbonate it, which is fine, too. Mm-hmm. Usually, if you're planning to age it for a long time, you have big batches, you'll probably fill the keg as far as you can and then put a little bit of carbon carbon dioxide on the top mm-hmm. or nitrogen on the top so that it doesn't oxidize. Oh, okay. So you're kind of putting like a chemical shield over the yeah. top of it. Yeah. So can you walk, you guys uh, brewed a lot of beer. Can you guys mm-hmm. kind of walk us through the process a little bit for our listeners? What is it? What is that beer brewing thing look like? I mean, from start to finish? Real, a little, like an outline. Take the grains that you're going to use as your base, your malts. Mm-hmm. Um, you grind them up and then you basically steep them in, in water at certain temperatures to convert the sugars. And when we say grind, we actually mean crack. Like crack. You not don't yet. want to grind them like you would yeah, through powder. 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 This is this is a very brief outline. It's, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just when you say grind, I'm like crack the beer. Well, crack I the have grains. a grain mill which cracks the grains. Yeah. Okay. okay. Crack the grains. Because you're opening it up so that the mm. bacteria can and the yeast or the well, yeast can open, eat it. Well, you're opening it up so that the water gets in and then is able to convert those starches that are in those the seeds, essentially the grains, the mm-hmm. multi grains, to be able to be converted to um, to sugars, and then those sugars are what the yeast is going to eat. Oh, okay. Um, but before then, you have to boil it, and all the herbs that she was talking about adding, mm-hmm. and the things that she was talking with the brewers, that's what they did during the boil, mm-hmm. is there's a period of time that you boil the, the beer, and you add, in most beers, you're adding hops, but um, you can add other things for your bittering agents, your flavoring agents, and they might get added at different points of the brew cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, to so, be honest, it's a little bit like making a highly specialized decoction. Mm. Oh, yeah. Beer is a big, deco- big decoction. Yeah. And why yeah. are you putting bitters in? Like, it, why is that so important? Um, partly it's, it's, it's preservation. That's oh. one of the biggest things is preservation. Um, like hops and hops resins helps preserve the beer. Huh. Um, that's one thing. Um, beer is a lower alcohol um, content liquid by just the way it is. Mm-hmm. So it can cause have infections that other like wine won't get because wine gets into a higher alcohol content. Range. Right. Um, so that's um, that's why you put in that. But above and beyond that, it's also to add flavors to to balance the malts. The sweetness. Drinking. Yeah, because if yeah. you if you were to drink a straight beer with no hops in it, it's not very complex and it's not very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, without any bittering good. agent, it's kind of just sweet, gooey, yeah. and yeah. and beers. They come at least out of European tradition, you know, quite a few hundred years ago were medicinal in part because that was people needed to just drink good, bitter stuff regularly because the water wasn't always great. And the Mm -hmm. food, you know, especially when you get into the cold climates, it can be hard to get your, you know, leafy greens in the middle of. Right. For sure. Minus who knows what degrees. You need to get your digestion going somehow. Yeah. So the beers were helpful for that. Mm-hmm. So as a brewer, you decide what your flavor profile is and what you want to have and how long you want to um, add the bittering agents. In this case, she chose white sage. She chose pinion pine. She chose Yerbasanta mm-hmm. at different points of that boil. And you can even add bittering agents after the boil when you're into your fermentation. But once you Those done- are usually they're considered more for aroma at that point. So you're looking for the stuff that will have a good scent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get done with that and then you transfer that liquid, the wort as it is, uh, the wort, 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 uh, into a, f- a primary fermentation vessel. 
Mm-hmm. That could be a carboy. That could be whatever you have. That it's, you can have an airlock on. You put that in there. You reach it down to room temperature, and then you pitch your yeast. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in, and just like everything else, there's not just one yeast. There's a you pick the flavor profile you're looking for. If you want a yeah. London ale, there's a London ale yeast. If you want, oh. if you want a Irish different stout, there's an Irish okay. stout yeast, a, a German lager. I mean, there's just lots of different ways that you can go about fermenting this beer now with yeast, which will impart its own flavors into it. Mm-hmm. So you've got all of the grains that gave that flavor, and then you have all the bittering agents to give flavor. And now we've added the yeast, which it's, it's byproduct would give it a flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that all comes together to make that beer. Wow. And um, the first fermentation, primary fermentation, is about two weeks with a one week where it goes in and the yeast goes crazy, literally. for If you're doing an ale, it goes crazy for two or three days or four days, depending on the yeast. And then it starts to slow down and settle out because it's eating all the sugar. And once it settles out, then you rack it into another one uh, to clear it out. And then you go another seven days there. And after that, you can bottle it or keg it typically. But after that, the, the rules of how people handle their beer changes. You can you can sit it on secondary longer. You can put it in a keg for for you know a year. You can put it in an oak cask, an old bourbon barrel. People have been doing that now to impart that oak flavor to the beer. I mean, there's just so many more things you can do creatively now at, at that point. Where everything along the path gives you the beer, the complexity mm-hmm. to the beer, the flavors that you're looking for. That's why when you go to the grocery store now, you see a wall of beer, and it's and it's all going to taste different. Right. Some beers are meant to be more aged, like stouts, porters, IPAs. Those originally were developed to be beers that would sit for six, nine months. Well, yeah, especially with the IPAs because they were designed to be you know, on a ship for months to go from England to India. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. that you know they that's, and that's India Pale, Pale Ale. right? It was that, designed yeah. to go to the help the people living yeah. in India get through their beerless days. Yes, exactly. A pale was, ale is not necessarily a very hoppy beer, and India Pale Ale is a very hoppy beer because the hops preserved the ale until the it got to over. the other side. Over. Oh, yeah. in part because it wasn't necessarily a very high alcohol content. The higher your alcohol content, the more expensive it is to make the beer because you need a lot of malt. Mm. Low alcohol content beers are cheaper to make uh, because you don't need nearly as much malt or barley in the first place. Mm -hmm. So India Pale Ale is a pale ale, which is typically not necessarily a very high content, alcohol content, traditionally, uh, but with a ton of hops to preserve it Mm -hmm. so that it didn't go bad because it could actually taste awful. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that could taste pretty foul. Do you have to control the temperature? In, in which point? Yeah, well, I mean, like, you don't, yeah, you don't want to bake on... your beer. I mean, you right. know, you, with lagering, it's at a cooler temperature. It's down in the 40-degree range in that mm-hmm. area. It's very, it always is cold all the way through the fermentation. Um, with ales, it's the more room temperature, 68 degrees, mm-hmm. give or take. Unless you're looking at, like, Trappist ales, which tend to be cooler. Oh, uh, yeah, it but kinda that's depends a very on, specialized thing. Yeah, so. it depends on which beer you're making. So is that why you'd have some seasonal stuff, not only what is mm-hmm. being harvested at the time, but also what your temperature is while it's sitting there? Yes. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and to some extent, yeah, and what's available. And then, you know, historically, you know, different beers were offered at different times. I mean, you don't necessarily drink a heavy stout in the middle of summer. No, because mm-hmm. typically you've begun your heavy stout. And it's still fermenting and sitting in the summer. And by the time fall rolls around, it's it's time to break it out. In the meantime, you've been drinking lighter ales made with lower alcohol content and and fewer grains and 
are usually lighter and you know mm-hmm. the blonde ales and the light yeah, the light stuff fruitier I mean, the and thing is, is more refreshing when what Candace was saying is that beer was was not just a refreshment it was food mm-hmm. and that's you know so you're you didn't need a heavy beer in in the summer but a heavy beer in the winter would would be better right you know there's more nutrition into it I mean, people may make the joke that like when you drink an oatmeal stout it's like drinking a loaf of bread right well, well we used to say there's, there's a sandwich in every bottle yeah well yep. kind of mm-hmm. is so kind of is yeah um but yeah so that's in a nutshell that's kind of beer making so what christina did was to work with the um the brewers there and say hey these herbs do these things and this is why i feel will help you get that flavor profile you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And I think this is like what, mm-hmm. beer two or three that they try. Cause he, this is the second one, I believe. When you're when you're messing with these these types of herbs, you're going to be looking at some Failures. interesting <laughs> first runs to, yeah. shoot, to find a recipe that's going to work. And, yeah. you know, it's a big commitment. I mean, you know, to go from zero to drinking a bottle of beers a month. Yeah. You know, um, and not, not that, but the investment in, in grain and, yeast everything else i mean it's not- and trying to source some of these hard to get items yeah. too yeah it's i mean we've seen christina posting about not harvesting wild sage mm-hmm. and that's white sage and that sort of thing i mean it, it's it's not an easy plant it's not like it grows you know like dandelions in our western right. lawns right you can you, know, you can grow it in a garden mm-hmm. but you have to plan you got to plan ahead and uh yeah. i think that it, from from my end, I I know as a former herb buyer what it was like to get some of these plants um, as they transitioned from wild crafted to cultivated yeah. because they were not as popular before. So we could get it wild crafted responsibly, and then it start people started really yeah. wanting to have the plants more regularly. So it was irresponsible to get it. Yeah. So we had to get it um, cultivated, and some of them don't cultivate very well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them are extremely challenging. Yep. I mean, that was part of what we had problems with, with like the golden seal. Golden seal. For a black long wash. Time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, happily, we, have, we mm. have some of those now that dedicated herbal farmers have figured out how to grow and how to carefully cultivate and, and actually are doing quite well. But mm-hmm. I think that might be part of what happened with white sage is that it wasn't as popular and then it became more and more so, and now it's completely over-harvested. And, yep. you know, I'm glad she's standing up for it, and she's, you know, calling it out and, and trying to educate folks. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways of helping make that transition is when you see a product that it is using the cultivated item that's a little difficult, like the white sage or mm-hmm. cultivated black co-wash, then making sure that you're, you're um, helping that business. Yeah. So. Yeah, it might cost a little bit more than the wild crafted version, but it's worth it to pay that small amount more because ultimately it will, in the long run, become less expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And definitely less expensive for our environment. Yeah. I know a lot of, at least when I was young, I had this notion that, well, it's if I get this plant in, and it's a endangered or it's in a trouble situation, then well, it's just me getting it, but it's it's never just me. Right. You represent many, many others who will come yep. over and just me. And next thing you know, 10%, 10%, 10%, there's like hardly any plants left. Yep. And it happens so, very quickly. And that's what does. we see in real, is, real, real life. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm really, I'm impressed with the work that Christina has been doing. I saw her um, recently, she posted her pinion pine syrup 
on uh-huh. Instagram with the recipe and everything. I got to say, I wish I was her neighbor right now because I would <laughs> love to be trying that out. Her, uh, she's just, I mean, she's wonderful. The things she's doing with the di- trying different recipes and different medicine making techniques. Um, she's going to be teaching a desert fire cider um, workshop uh, in, I think it's November 18th. I think it's that weekend. You can find it, I'm sure, through her Facebook page. Right. I'll make sure we put it in this in the show notes too. Right. But yeah, she's going to be teaching that. And I love the the idea of fire cider, but made with desert herbs. I mean, mm-hmm. how perfect is that? You yeah. know. We should also say uh, that Christina has been regularly posting videos. Mm-hmm. So if you want to follow her videos as she walks through the desert, yeah. So you know, you may not be able to get go to the places where she's at, but you get a little view of it from an experienced person's eyes, experienced herbalist eyes. Yeah. Experience it ethical, highly yeah. ethical yeah. herbalist eyes. Yeah. I think the other, she's doing another workshop. I think that's an elderberry syrup workshop. Oh, really? Okay. Same time. I think they're both November 18th. So oh. I would definitely, if you're in the area, in her area, check it out, find out what she's doing and get over there and give her, give her your support and get some good herbal learning. Mm-hmm. And if you're lucky, maybe she'll share some of that pinion pine syrup with you. Maybe. And we, if you're an Herbal Nerd Society member, you should just give me a shout and let me know. <laughs> and we'll tell everyone yep. how good it was. And you guys can look forward to an article that she wrote. It's on a hair grow goo that um, she fashioned. And that article will be either have come out by the time this podcast is posted or will be coming out soon. Very soon. One of the yeah. two. Um, and then look for her other uh, interviews that we've had with her and podcasts in the past. Uh, I'll try to put some of those on the show notes as well. Mm-hmm. All right. So. Well, now it's time for a word from our sponsor. Hey, we're back. Today we're going to talk a um, – I wouldn't say it's a Herbal 101, is it? As much as it's a um, comment from a listener, an Herbal Nerd Society member. Participation in yeah. the conversation that we had – in podcast 161 uh, 161 yes where we talked about um the this is our we were talking about licensure in response to thomas easley's functional herbalism his concern about you know how we have a lot of irresponsible herbalists out there and there's got to be some kind of format to work with okay so he's offering one option all right well this is from kyle i'll read the letter it's it's uh three or four paragraphs he says hello herbal nerd society member here Following this week's podcast, I wanted to take a minute to share some thoughts about licensure. I'm a licensed massage therapist, which makes me a healthcare provider in the state of Washington. I am all for licensures. It does not make a therapist, a doctor, or dentist, or whoever a good practitioner, but it does give the public recourse when a practitioner does something objectively wrong. As herbalists, you are accepting payment for what we really are, healthcare services. Call it what you will. Clients are usually coming to you, uh, sit and, and complain, and you're usually offering some kind of remedy. If an herbalist gives a client a dangerous remedy, the client should have recourse other than a civil suit. The flip side of this coin is that as healthcare provider, I get to have insurance. Insurance is a wonderful, wonderful thing that protects me if I, acting in good faith, accidentally hurt someone. I have never had this happen, but I sure value this protection. Licensure has also not limited my scope beyond what I should not be doing anyway. I can use dozens of modalities. In fact, my continuing education choices are so broad 
and I flipped the page. I cannot um, possibly excel at all of them. There are niches for everyone. Licensure only establishes a very basic level of competency. It does not limit what you can then go on to do with further training. In addition, in massage, there are widely varying viewpoints and approaches to any given condition or discomfort. One group of therapists focus on myofascial release. Others focus on neuromuscular therapy. Some focus on cranial sacral work. Most of us blend a number of approaches into our own unique pro- approach and work that works just fine. No one in the government is dictating our approach. The Board of Massage just sets basic rules, rules that therapists should find quite easy to follow. I think it is a mistake for herbalists to fear the concept of licensure or oversight. You may find that you have far more opportunities to help people if the practice is generally more accepted, and licensure does not affect the layperson's ability to use herbs any more than it affects the layperson's ability to give another person a foot massage or a back rub or to use a foam roller for self-care. These are just my two cents. Warm regards, Kyle Putnam. So guys... What do you think? Well, I really appreciate Kyle writing in there. He's one of our Herbal Nerd Society members. He is. Yeah. He is. I actually truly appreciate a value his opinion. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's it's good to hear it from someone who is doing massage therapy as well and to kind of see, because that's a, a, getting them licensed is a, is a fairly new, that new, fairly new. Yeah. It's big. That was a big thing. It was. And that's handled state by state. So the licensing requirements in each state are different. Yep. Which is pretty common. Also in in the, for doctors as well, like Mm -hmm. Oregon has their own licensure um, rules and you have to, you can't come from another state and come into Oregon as a doctor. Right. You have to go through through. your own thing and you, and in America you can't come in um, if you were a doctor in Peru or something, you they yeah. make you start over again. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and I don't know it about, becomes, you know, that I think might be to too re- extreme. I think you should be able to retest and recertify and do your thing, especially if you have the training. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is interesting that it is state to state and it's not just in the uh, medical industries. I mean, even accounting, Yeah, you have to, to recertify to be an accountant in different states. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, so I find insurance that interesting too. too. Insurance too. You have to be licensed in each state yeah, that you that you want to uh, sell serve. insurance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that and real and, estate. And, so that means you we have like a bioregional accounting and a mm-hmm. bioregional insurance. That's an interesting yeah. concept. Too. We have a lot of regionalism in a lot of professions. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes, and the way a profession is practiced here in Oregon might be different from the way it's practiced in Washington or in Florida or, you know, in Maine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some states will just accept the other state's certification and you just apply for it and you're good to go. In other states like Oregon, you have to certify in the state with its testing. Right. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on the local laws that, you, that you're there with. It's kind of an interesting thing, like, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I know in Oregon, I believe the licensed massage therapists have to do regular like continuing education and they have to recertify or retest or repay license fees regularly. I believe it's annually, but I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. So you have to do a certain amount of education, continuing education. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think he brings up a really valid point about the insurance side of it and not just the insurance side for the, for the patient, but the insurance side for the provider. Yeah. That's the part that to me seems it can be a, good thing but it also can be scary because when you start looking at 
Like if I'm going to go to a licensed massage therapist, it's not cheap, partly because they have to cover their costs, which includes paying their insurance. Mm -hmm. And the cost starts to go up, 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 up. Mm -hmm. And the same thing can happen with herbal practice. And I've spoken to, in our area, there are quite a few licensed massage therapists, which means that the there's too many licensed massage therapists for the number of people who will see them. Mm. So they have to keep their costs down, which means they have to do a lot more massages each week, which is hard on their bodies. Right. And hard on their hands. On. And it keeps them at a very low income. Mm-hmm. And so all those costs, all those things come together to be potentially really challenging to be able to actually be a professional in that field. That's tough in business yeah. in general. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that, that can happen in any place. And, and, you know, someone who's a licensed massage therapist here in the, you know, Eugene Springfield area might very well go, you know, out to Eastern Oregon to a really tiny town and be the only one and right. be able to charge a rate that, that will actually be sustainable for and them. And that's a, a big problem out here because we've got massage school. Mm-hmm. So we've got all these graduates that they want to stay here. Yeah, and then you kind of yeah. flooded the market here a bit. Yeah, and I I know that there's a lot of herbalists in this area. Yeah, because we can grow everything. So yep. we have an herbal industry out here. Well, you've mm-hmm. got people that they are getting very little money. Yeah, for you know, I mean, that's the market. That's what's the market. It's the market. Or, but if we now add a topic, of it, sorry. if we add more costs to the cost of doing business for those herbalists who are already barely scraping by because the market won't pay more because there's too many herbalists and yeah you know but on the other hand you know if you do if you can accept insurance as an an herbalist you can potentially work with other related practitioners like acupuncturist licensed massage therapist right. you know maybe a reflexologist or mm-hmm. a reiki practitioner or something like that you can get like a wellness center together yeah and if you all can accept the same insurances, you can kind of pass clients back and forth with each other. That's true. And the you insurance company pays, which means that it opens it up to a lot of people who might not otherwise have tried right. herbs. And that's a real problem, I think, in the herbal industry mm-hmm. right now is that people, for for very few exceptions that are going to herbalists, they have a high income. Yeah. The people that uh, a, lot, the, a lot of herbalists that are herbalists, many of us are herbalists because we couldn't afford to go see an herbalist yeah, ourselves. So we, we learned, became an herbalist. We learned what we needed to learn and then we just kept learning. Yep. Yeah. So for low income people, sure, they could go out and, and wildcraft their own and make stuff. And we have stuff available on our website so people can do stuff like that and do it intelligently. But a lot of folks that are low income, it's, it's a, a lot, lot of work. work. And, and if you're working a, a couple of, of different jobs and raising kids and and then, I mean, let's, and let's be really honest here. When we say low income, we're actually talking about both low and middle income. Mm-hmm. Because what we currently in our country call middle income is not a lot of money to get by on. Right. The middle class is becoming kind of a myth these days. But yeah. for if we have insurance, then, I mean, that's one of the things that we're seeing now is there are people that are insurance and they, they have insurance and and it's and they're very low income and they can go see a practitioner a, a practitioner yeah so, and they, that wasn't accessible before so right and on one hand i think that it's a really good thing and i know people i know quite a few people here whose incomes are on par with my own which is not very high mm-hmm. and i say that i'm going to go see the massage therapist because i've got to fix my back and they're like oh my god your insurance pays for that and i'm like no it doesn't yeah 
I pay for that out of my pocket because it actually works. Yep. My insurance company doesn't understand what works and won't give me what I need. Mm -hmm. So I have to pay it out of pocket. And I'm still willing to do that because I understand that that's going to help me. Yep. And I'm not willing to pay very high insurance premiums. I would personally, a lot of times, feel I'd rather go without insurance because what's the point of paying five or six hundred dollars a month or more for something for something that I can't use because they won't let me? Yeah. Because what they want me to use is the stuff that doesn't actually work for my body. Right. It may work for other people, but it yep. doesn't work for me. And what that has ended up doing is I'm watching people who could afford to go to a licensed massage therapist bulk at the idea of paying more than 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. So what does that do for the licensed massage therapists or, or the, the acupuncturists or the naturopaths? Yeah. Or, I mean, it ends up putting them into a position where they become less accessible mm -hmm. because insurance has gotten in the way. Right. And so it's herbs for the thinking. people are just for the wealthy people, the people that can somehow afford to go like in, in Oregon and in Hawaii, you can see a naturopath and insurance will pay for it. If you have the right insurance. Yes. If you have the right insurance, right, yeah. of course. But in Idaho, no. Right. You know, right. if you want to see a naturopath, you just better save your pennies. You just do it on your own, which yeah. is, I mean. And that's not right. Well, I, I don't think. Well, the think, insurance industry is I think the insurance industry is not right. Because the insurance industry is dictating care. It's not allowing the practitioner and the patient to dictate care. Yeah. Don't and get me started on that pre-qualified stuff. Because I think that is an insurance scam. However, this is insurance yeah. and insurance is its own issue. And mm -hmm. You know, we're healthcare for all. That's what we right. need. But, but I mean, on the for, other hand, I do like the idea of potentially being able to get insurance for my practice that will protect me right. against a malpractice suit. Although I've spoken to quite a few herbalists who have been in the field 20, 30, even 40 years, and none of them have ever been sued. Yeah. And is that luck or, you know, because all you need is one person that's that's got their ire up and they're they're just looking for someone to hit. Yeah, Looking well, for a and, victim. and when you start moving into the place where you've got licensure and all of those things and the costs get higher, then that's when lawsuits are more likely to happen, too. Yep. You know, I know somebody that had to move out of state because they got hit by somebody that was lawsuit. just looking, yep, hit with a lawsuit and they were mm -hmm. just looking for someone to, they're like, oh, you look vulnerable. Boom. Yeah. And it's, it's spooky. I but, mean, a yeah. lot of us as herbalists, honestly, you sue them and you're like, well, you can't get blood out of a turnip. Right. So exactly. what's the point? You know, all you're going to do is drive them out of business. Here's my 72 Honda. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's what you're getting. You 300 bucks. A right. couple of bananas. Yeah, <laughs> bananas on the side. But I certainly, I really appreciate Kyle's perspective. And he is right. You know, there there can be, I think, a good place for licensure in the mm -hmm. long run we should have the options yeah and we i really have the options yeah and i still think that having the structure of proper schools where you can get good credentials makes sense and be able and, to trust them yeah i know many years ago i was looking for an herb school and i looked and looked and looked and i found one that i thought oh this is going to be the greatest and then doing a little more research on it Oh, so this much. doesn't mean anything. This is yeah. not that the, the certificate meant anything. Right. I realized that early on. Right. But this classes were vapid. Yeah. Well, and I, I kind of think that, you know, Kyle's working in a field where they have the schools. Yeah. They, they, they are further along right. in their growth. We're, we're like the little licensed. toddler brother and <laughs> brothers and sisters compared to the licensed massage therapists who are 
what, at least like middle school, high school. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah. You know. yeah. I understand massage therapy school, at least here in, in the one in Eugene is, it's pretty Intense. hardcore. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty hardcore. Yeah. Most of the massage therapists I've spoken to, whether they trained initially here or elsewhere in other states, most of them talk about the programs are not easy. Mm-hmm. They're not fluffy. They're not oh, look, I saw this video on YouTube and now I've got a book that I've written and I'm going to give you a certificate. Right, right. They're, it means something. Yeah. Because people have really studied and they've focused. Yeah. yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how the, how this whole thing plays out. And, you know, I know in the end it becomes up to us to be part of that change. Yes. So we got to do our scholarship and make sure that we're making wise choices and supporting things that will help other people and just be aware there will always be a risk there's always a risk there is always a risk so gotta play your cards right but thank you kyle for your response and uh for being part of the yay for the urban nerd society society and um and and i hope that you enjoyed our podcast because we sure enjoyed reading what you were thinking about and as always put Put an herb on it. it The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with a healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.